group. Uh, it's good to, I'm glad you all are here. I'm glad you take time out of your week um, to, to, you know, I know you're busy. And so RUF is a, it's a Christian ministry for New Mexico State University, and it's a Christian ministry for um, Doniana and uh, college-age students in Las Cruces. And what we, wa- we want to create a place where people can come and ask honest questions and get honest answers about life and about faith, about school, work, family, friends, dating, um, all kinds of students, Christians, non-Christians, not sure, sure they're not Christians, come in here, ask questions, ask me questions, ask each other questions, ask this questions, and, uh, and see what it says. Um, so um, that's a little short intro of what we do, uh, and I hope that you can find a place here. So uh, the last couple of weeks we've been talking through the book of Philippians, and it's been good for my heart, I hope it's been good for yours, and we've been talking about this theme of joy, um, specifically the idea of try, how do we get and keep real joy. And uh, tonight's text is a little different. Um, it, it, it definitely feels a little different from maybe what you're used to when you read the Bible and from what we've been talking about as we've been reading uh, this book. And uh, it doesn't, tonight's text doesn't feel like the Bible when you read it. It doesn't feel like a sacred text. There's and even when you read it, I got bit by a mosquito earlier tonight, so I'm going to be. Um, even when you read it, there's not really any direct teaching. There's no like real heavy lifting theology at work here. There's no real explicit do this or don't do that or anything. So it could be, it could be easy for us to sort of skip over it, right? It could be easier for us to look at this text and be like, I don't know if this has anything to say to us. In fact, when I was preparing, uh, like at the beginning of the semester, outlining the semester, um, I saw this text and I was like, eh, I don't want to preach that one. And I almost skipped it <laughs> because I was like, I don't, want to, I don't want to talk about this because it's kind of weird. Um, but I think skipping over it would say something. It would say that like certain parts of Scripture are more valuable than other parts of Scripture. And that's something that we don't want to do. We believe in something that we call the plenary inspiration of Scripture. What is that? Now, what in the world is that? Plenary inspiration. Well, inspiration is the idea that this Bible, this Bible is the product, and it comes from the mind and the mouth of God himself. Now, that's a bold thing to say on a college campus, and I don't want to back all of that up right now. I can do that. We can do that later. But it's just enough, suffice to say that we believe that this is, this is not just a human product, that there's actually God himself is working behind it in a mysterious mix of human creativity and divine inspiration, so that's inspiration. What's the plenary part? What do I mean by plenary? Well, what does plenary mean? It means absolute or unqualified or every piece of it. So when we say we believe in the plenary inspiration, we mean that every piece of this Bible, every piece of this book is equally inspired from God. And so that means that even parts like tonight, which we're like, oh, I don't know what to do with this still has, it's from the Lord, it's from God, and it has something to say to our lives. Um, And it's still something valuable. So let's pay attention to this tonight and see what it has to say to us, even in 2,000 years later. So uh, if you have one of the bulletins, uh, look with it on me. If you don't, um, hopefully you can turn your Bible to uh, Philippians chapter 2, and I'm going to start at verse 19. And this is God's word. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, 
how, how as a son with a father he has served me with, the in, with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I shall shortly come, shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And I am more eager to send him, therefore, that I may rejoice at seeing him again and may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let me pray for us quickly. Father in heaven, thank you for your word in that every piece of it, um, from Genesis to Revelation, even the parts that are a little different from what we're used to, is your word to us, and that you are showing us through this a piece of yourself, a piece of your son, and a piece of how to live in our world. Uh, Father, I pray that tonight you would work through even this text and work through me, despite me, in these people, uh, and these friends gathered, uh, and make them, um, unite them closer together and make them more like Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, did I lie? It's a bit of a different text, right? It feels a little awkward. What's going on in this text? What is going on in here? Well, we have to zoom out again just a little bit, and we have to see, remember, what this is actually, what this is a part of. Remember, this is a letter written by Paul the Apostle to a church in Asia Minor, in a city called Philippi. And he's basically telling them, he's telling them about two of their mutual friends named Timothy and Epaphroditus, right? He's filling them in. He's basically telling them why Timothy's not coming right now and why Epaphroditus is coming right now. That's really, I mean, like, there's some, there's some theological language here, but really, it's travel plans. That's what he's telling them. It's like, this is really old, 2,000-year-old travel plans. Like, when you text your friend and say, like, I'll be here in two weeks, and so-and-so will be here in two, in two months. That's really what's happening. Why is Timothy not coming now, and why is Epaphroditus coming sooner? That's what's happening in this text. So, if that's what's going on, we need to, and we believe this is God's word, we need to ask ourselves, what can we learn from this? What can we actually learn? Does, how, does this, how, how, do, how does this actually speak into our lives 2,000 years later in Las Cruces, New Mexico? And to do that, I want to ask a question. I want to ask, what can we learn from a text that tells a church that Timothy can't come now and Epaphroditus will come sooner? And I think we can learn two things. Two things from this text that are actually really important and really relevant to our world today. And the first thing is this. <clears throat> this, is, this is sort of obvious, but it's this. It's that the Bible is about real people. The Bible is about real people. And I know this can feel obvious, but it's actually really, really important. The Bible is based upon historical, factual events and it can be really easy in our world, especially in like the Christian world, to sort of hyper-spiritualize and explain away all these things so that, that, so that you know, it just becomes this hyper-above-the-world-that-we-live-in faith. And, and I think we can all be tempted to do this. We can re- reduce Christianity down to something. And I've seen in my own life how I've done that sort of as my matured. I grew up, personally, I grew up in a Christian home. 
Um, and so I remember when I was a kid, um, we would have this thing in Sunday school, we'd have this thing called sword drills. Anybody else do sword drills going up? Yeah, Jeff did. Um, so some of you who, maybe, you know, if you came from a different tradition, it's fine. Sword drills are not, you know, they are what they are. So I remember growing up, and we would do these things called sword drills, and a, a, what would happen is the Sunday school teacher would call out a passage, and we would all race to try and find the passage as fast as we could. And if you got it, first you got like candy or a star or something like that. So, and basically what was happening is we were basically just learning facts about the Bible, we were learning about Daniel in the lion's den and David and Goliath and Noah and the ark and all these great things, true facts, but just facts. And so we sort of reduced the Bible down to a set of facts that we learned. And then as I got older, I started to, do, I started to see the Bible as maybe just a set of actions of things I should do and shouldn't do. I sort of reduced the Bible down to don't kill anybody, don't sleep with anybody until you're married, Give your money away. Like all these things that you're supposed to do or not do. Just a, the Bible is a list of rules in a sense. And so maybe for some of you, that's maybe what you think of Christianity. And certainly when you read the Bible, it's a list of things to do or not to do. And then when I got to college, I started feeling all these feelings. And I was depressed and anxious. And I started treating the Bible as basically, if I can find the right passage at the right time and I can feel the right thing, then that's what the Bible... So the Bible is basically like my own little form of therapy and my own little form of motivation and, and making myself feel good. So if I just read Psalm 23 when I feel alone, then I'll feel better. Or if I just read Psalm 63 when I'm depressed, then I'll feel better. Or something like that. So it reduces the Bible down to just basically like a counselor or a motivational thing, right? And it doesn't stop there. Even when I was in grad school, okay, I was in grad school to study the Bible, right? And I still do this. I still do this. I, I think I tended to reduce, and I still, I do all of these still, I tended to reduce the Bible down to a set of doctrines and a set of creeds that I had to defend and assent to. Jesus is God. Um, uh, uh, Jesus is our propitiation. Jesus is man. Mankind is sinful and depraved. All of these things just basically like, this is a set of proofs that I have to defend and prove. And you see what's happening here. Maybe some of you are the same. You're in one of those places where you kind of reduce the Bible down to something that it's not. You reduce it down to a set of facts to know or, or rules to follow or not follow or feelings or even doctrines. And maybe some of you haven't read the Bible a lot, but this is what you think of when you think of it as one of those things. And um, hear me say this. All of those are partially true. All of those are partially true. There are real doctrinal truths in this. There, the Bible is something that you can turn to in when you're emotionally needy or when you're joyful or, or something like that. Those are all partially true. But that's not what the Bible fundamentally is. The Bible is fundamental, and that's what this text shows us tonight. What the Bible is actually, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a story about real historical people who lived together, who wrote letters, who interacted with God, who interacted with each other. That's what the Bible is at the end of the day. So let's zoom out from this passage and look at it at a different scale. Here's Paul. Some of you know anything, some things about Paul. He's an apostle. So here's Paul. He's writing a letter to a church. Like this is actually happening. He's writing about real people. And he's saying, 
He's saying here, he writes to them and he says, I grew up hostile and antagonistic towards Christianity. And I was, I was definitely skeptical. I even hated it. And then Jesus Christ appears to me out of nowhere on a road trip. And he shows himself to me. And now I'm telling you that Jesus Christ is actually God. And, and that he was also man at the same time. That he really lived in Jerusalem. That he really died. That he really came back to life. That he really did miracles. All of those things actually happened. That's what this is saying. That's what the Bible tells us, is that this is about real people. Timothy, Epaphroditus, Paul, a real church in Philippi, and even a real Jesus. Behind the Christian faith, behind the Bible, are claims to real events, to real history. It's, it's not like Harry Potter. All right? It's not like Harry Potter. I, I love Harry Potter. I read them for the first time like two summers ago. I just, oh my gosh, I bombed through them. And I just wished they were real. I was like, oh, this is such a good story. But that's not how Scripture is. It, it, it's set, you know, Harry Potter is set in our world, but it's not real. The Bible is more like Schindler's List. It's a story of actual events, of things that actually happened in space-time, in our world. These are real people with real lives. And in fact, in another book of the Bible, in the Gospel of Luke, the beginning, the author says, he says, I did research, I investigated, I interviewed, and now I am reporting back the events and the people around the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Christianity is a religion based on historical facts. Now, why is that important? Why is that important? Why does that matter right now? Because here's why it's important. Because you and I live in a real world. We live in a real world of history, space, time. And what good would a faith be if it was just sort of like way up here that just kind of gave us some platitudes about maybe what would be good to live in? We live in a world that's really grounded in relationships and people. And guess what? Christianity comes in and says, that's exactly what is offered here. It means that we, can't, we don't over-spiritualize the Bible. We can't reduce it down to facts to learn or feelings or doctrines or actions. Those are all true and good. But at the end of the day, the gospel of Christianity is it's a story to believe. It's not a set of fables with a good moral or logical proofs or motivation. It's a story of God creating the world and then us in our sin ruining and breaking the world and then God over time redeeming and buying back and fixing all the brokenness and in the climax of all that, doing it in Jesus Christ in His death and resurrection. It's a real story. Maybe some of you here tonight don't know what you think about Christianity. Well, let me challenge you to start here. Christianity is not a set of doctrines or emotions or anything else. It's a, it's a, it's a faith that's based on real events, real people. Start there and then move up. Move up from there into the facts and the, the emotions and the doctrines. Start with, do I actually think this has really, really happened? And if you have questions about that, man, I'd love to chat with you about it. I'd love to get lunch or coffee and talk with you more about it. So that's the first thing that I think this shows us tonight. The travel plan shows us that there's real people actually traveling and that the Bible is based on real events. Second thing I think this text shows us tonight Second thing I think it shows us is it shows us the importance of a diverse community of faith. It shows us the importance of a diverse community of faith. Now, what do I mean behind what do I mean by that? I mean this. Behind all of this, behind this text, there's actually 
a whole network of relationships, right? Do you see that? Do you see Paul says, I know Timothy and Epaphroditus. And you, church, know Timothy and Epaphroditus. And they know each other. And we're all interworking together. We're all networking together for our good. Now, what does this mean? It means this. It means that you, you can't grow as a Christian by yourself. And you can't grow in faith by yourself. No matter who you are, no matter how you are tonight, if you're a lifelong Christian, or you're a new Christian, or you don't know, or you're sure you're not a Christian, you're not going to get answers to it. You're not going to actually grow in your understanding of, your, of, of the Christian faith by yourself. You're not going to get it by reading, I mean, a book will help. Listening to a sermon or a lecture might help, but you need a network of people around you. If that was true 2,000 years ago with this network, it's true today. Timothy and Paphroditus, they were teachers that Paul, he sends them to this church. He's sending these these two men eventually, and he's sending them to encourage them, to correct them to minister to them, to answer questions, to help them grow. They're basically pastors. Timothy and Epaphroditus are basically pastors. They're men who are mature in this faith, emotionally and intellectually and spiritually, and he's sending them to care for them, to care for this church. So what's the lesson from that? What's the lesson that we learned from that? It's this. That you and I need to be in communities full of different people and especially even older people and learn from them. They are the examples of what the Christian life looks like. So I'm from Colorado, as my shirt boldly advertises. And so, um, I, so there, I like to go hiking in Colorado. And there was a, uh, I was hiking a couple, uh, a couple weeks ago, well, weeks ago, months ago. And there was a sign up that was talking about the deer migration. And the deer, once the fall starts to get chillier, you know how they, they, they don't stay where it's cold. They go down. The bears will go and hibernate. But the deer will stay. Well, I mean, the deer, the deer, once it starts getting cold, will go down to lower ground or lower, lower elevations where it's not as cold and they can find food, that sort of thing. And the scientists, as they've studied this, they actually learned that the, it's not all instinct. I mean, there's some instinct in there, but there's actually the younger deer actually learn from the older deer. They learn, hey, we can't stay here. We've got to follow the older ones, the people who, the deer that know that if we stay here, we're going to free, freeze and starve. We've got to go down. And so they follow them, and then they learn. And then they, when they start to get older, the new deer come up, they start to teach them. And the, and the, the species, is, it continues. It can grow, and it can thrive, survive because they're actually learning from one another. And that's how we are. At least that's how we should be. If you're a lone ranger deer in your faith, you'll wake up one late October morning and you'll be freezing and starving and alone and you will die in your faith. I, you, we, I chuckle, but I'm serious. You cannot be alone in your faith. There are no lone ranger Christians. You must have a community of pastors and friends to nurture you in your faith. Now, what does that mean practically? It means that you need a spiritual community. You need a pastor who will care for you and challenge you. You need friends who, I can't even do that, who will challenge you and question you and have fun with you and support you. You need support when you get that 2 a.m. phone call and your bottom falls out of your world. You need help when you're depressed and lonely. You need community. And I want to push this just a little bit further. Here, here, I'm going to push it a little more when I say this. 
That, that means that even RUF is not enough. Even RUF is not enough. It's a great start. I love RUF. I work for RUF. I think it's the best thing happening on campus right now. That's not entirely true, but I think it's great. <laughs> but it's not enough. Why? Why is it not enough? Well, I'll give you two reasons. One, it's not a church. What is a church? It's a community of a whole group of generations and marriage and single people and families all coming together and saying, we want to grow in our faith together. It, if you look around this room, yeah, there's a lot of diversity, but there's also a lot of the same happening here. A church doesn't have that, at least a good one. It's a whole group of people whom you can learn from. It's got more resources and more people. So you need to be in a church. You've heard me say this if you hang around RUF long enough. I say this over and over again. If you're busy, if you're busy and it comes down to you got one and a half hours free this week and it's a tie between going to RUF large group and going to church, man, go to church every time. Go to church every time. Do not come here. Hear me say that. Do not come here if you can only do one of the two because church is so much more important. RUF is not enough. Why? Because RUF is temporary. College, college is a short time, maybe three to six years, and then you move on, both in your season of life, and you probably will move. You'll change locations even. And what's, what's going to happen if you move and you change location? All, you know, all, your, all of your community has been RUF. You're going to go someplace else, and you're not going to have that, and you're going to start sleeping in on Sunday, and it's going to be really hard, and you're going to wake up ten years later and be like, I don't know if I'm a Christian. If you don't have the habits of being involved in a community, in a church, you'll fall out of it and you'll lose your faith. That's just, that's what happens. My wife loves the movie It. How many of you have seen the movie It? I can't raise my hand. I haven't seen it. It's too scary for me. <laughs> but uh, she tells me that the point of the movie is, that, is, is the idea of being stronger together. And that there's this, you know, there's this demon that wants to separate and isolate the children. And when he can separate them, he can consume them. He can destroy them. But at the end of the movie, she tells me, they band together. <laughs> they band together and they're actually stronger together and they can defeat the demon. That is an incredible example of what life is like, especially your life in faith. I'm not saying you're going to get eaten by a demon. But I am saying... <laughs> I am saying that you have to be together. You've got to band together. Even if you're not a Christian. Even if you're like, Jonathan, I know I'm not a Christian. I don't believe anything you guys are talking about. You need community. You need community. Find yourself a community where you can do that. So what does this passage show us tonight? This has been a big picture of this passage. You notice I didn't even refer to the verses very much. But I think it does show us without showing us any ground-shattering doctrines, come back next week for that, it shows us that week in, week out, the Bible continues to speak into our daily lives. The Bible speaks into our daily lives, and we see two things. One, the Bible is based on real events. It's based on history. It's based on people and places and events and things that happened in space-time. And if that's true, then we have to wrestle with that. Do we actually think these things happen? And if they did, how does that affect our lives? Second, we need community, and we need a community of faith. We need, we can't, you can't do Christianity alone. Please, for the love of your soul, don't try. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you can do this alone. Get involved in a spiritual community and long-term get involved in a church. And I haven't said much about joy, but 
All of this is connected to joy. And we can talk more about this because I'm going long, but it's all connected to joy. Once you begin to realize that this is actually based on real life stuff, not just something, not just something that feels good, nothing that, that aspirations, gee, wouldn't it be nice if Jesus died? No, he actually died, and you have life in him. Oh my gosh, that's joyful. No, actually, if you live together and you get involved in each other's lives, man, there's joy in that. That's how you start to get and keep real joy. The Bible's based on real events, and we need community. That's what I think this text shows us tonight. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it, um, it motivates us. It shows us how you love us, how you desire uh, us to know you more and to know each other well. Father, I pray that you would, um, you would knit us together, even tonight, and that through it we would become more and more like Jesus. And it's with great confidence that we pray because we know that Jesus is alive and on his throne and will do it. So it's in his name that we pray. Amen.